This episode is brought to you by Capes, the most sustainable school uniforms brand in the world. Capes uniforms are made from only sustainably sourced materials like organic cotton, recycled polyester, recycled wool and regenerated nylon, and they only use eco-friendly dyes. And they only make their uniforms in trusted, certified factories where the workers are paid a fair wage. Capes also incentivise parents to return old uniforms, which they then restore before offering on at a discount to help other parents save money. Find out more at capes.co. Hello and welcome to The Green Network, the podcast that tries to dig a little deeper into some of the complex questions we're asking today about sustainability. I'm Sophie. And I'm Lydia. And this podcast mini-series is all about clothing, what's in our clothes, who makes them, and how we can find out more about how they are produced. In recent years, there's been so much focus on the unsustainable nature of the luxury and fast fashion clothing industry particularly on the environmental and social issues created by their seasonal trends. But what about other types of clothing, perhaps less glamorous and exciting, but important, that often slip under the radar? In this first episode, we've decided to focus on a particular category of clothing that almost all of us will have some memory of, whether it's the itchy and uncomfortable sweaters or the smell of new polished school shoes. You guessed it, the good old school uniform. The unsustainable aspects of school uniforms are getting more and more attention as NGOs and research groups have been trying to piece together the scientific facts about children's health and the clothing they wear, particularly the school uniform which they spend days on end in. The British journal Dermatology has documented rising cases of atopic eczema affecting around 165 million children worldwide. And aside from the surface of the skin, even more research over the past decades has been revealing some of the long-term health consequences of exposure to a range of synthetic chemicals, some of which have been linked to cancer and developmental issues. As the world has been in lockdown with COVID-19, school uniforms have been sitting in cupboards gathering dust. But now with many children back at school, the focus has turned back to uniforms, with people trying to raise awareness with some of the safety issues inherent in many of these products. Today we're hosting two guests, Phil Patterson, Managing Director of Colour Connections, a consultancy aiming to help the textile and coloration industry improve the way it works, improve efficiency and performance, whilst reducing the harmful impacts of the sector on the environment. And we're incredibly excited to be hosting Carrie Summers, the founder of Fashion Revolution. Carrie's become a real name in the world of sustainable fashion, being named one of the eight sustainable icons revolutionising the industry alongside names such as Emma Watson and Stella McCartney. Carrie was inspired to found Fashion Revolution just days after the tragic collapse of a garment factory in Bangladesh, the famous Rana Plaza collapse of 2013. And she now works with her team at Fashion Revolution to educate, research, inform and lobby for policy change to clean up and make the fashion industry more accountable. We asked her how things have changed since she founded the NGO back in 2013. Now, even seven years on from the Rana Plaza disaster, the environment continues to suffer as the result of the way in which fashion is is sourced and consumed. And we know that the struggle for human dignity in the fashion industry is, is both constant and costly. 
the fashion and textiles are the biggest cause of microplastic pollution. They account for 34.8% of all microplastic pollution. And then, you know, I knew that the industry really had an important role to play. And one statistic really hit me when I was doing the research. Emily Penn, who's the co-founder of X Expedition. X Expedition, by the way, is an all-female research expedition group which sails around the world to investigate the causes and solutions to plastic in our oceans. And Carrie has participated in some of the expeditions had her blood tested for 35 chemicals which are banned by the United Nations and she found 29 of them inside her, her bloodstream and these include chemicals typically found in our clothing like pesticides and, and flame retardants. So what are the chemicals we're using in the manufacture of school uniforms and do we really need them? The fashion textiles industry uses around 15,000 chemicals on a regular basis and if we're looking at maybe a kilo of fabric that can have taken between 100 grams and a kilo of chemicals to make that kilo of fabric and the average fabric uses about 50% of its, its weight in, in chemicals and these I mean there's there's an endless list of chemicals it can be you know the pesticides in the cotton there's dye stuffs there's pigments there's mordants there's crease resistant agents there's anti-shrinking agents oil and water plasticizers flame retardants biocides like antibacterial agents um, water repellent agents I mean there's, there's there's so much more and we're surrounded by these every day they're on our soft furnishings our pillows our clothes it's quite staggering to hear some of these numbers up to 15,000 unique chemicals can be applied in the production of a single school uniform up to a kilogram of chemical per kilo of fabric these sound like really high volumes and whilst many of these chemicals are being washed out during the long production process increasingly chemicals are being applied as a finishing agent to bring an added benefit to the product on the shelf for the customer so when you see easy iron sweat resistance crinkle free these value added benefits have been brought by a chemical that's added to the clothing and these are the chemicals receiving a lot more attention in the media for their potential health risks there's absolutely no reason at all why we need to make all of our clothing easy care, non-iron, stain resistant. I mean, the government guidance at the moment for parents is that parents wash their uniforms daily anyway. And actually all the evidence has shown that all of these extra chemicals um, and, and different impacts which are supposed to help parents you know, make it easier for them to take care of the uniforms, they actually don't have any impact on how frequently people wash and launder their clothes. That's more to do with habit than how dirty the clothing is. So I was really shocked to read that actually, you know, a lot of the exposure may be because, you know, children come in, it's a wet day, they come in, they've got their wet rainwear, which is covered in, in water repellent chemicals. And these are, you know, put over the backs of the chair, they're hung up in the peg in the classroom. And then these chemicals are off gassing. And so all of the children are then breathing in, in these chemicals. 
So what are these chemicals doing to our children's health? It's important to consider children, babies and pregnant women separately to adults, as they are at a critical stage in their development and often more vulnerable to the effects of chemicals. The WHO has highlighted research that demonstrates that children's physiology and biology makes them significantly more vulnerable to the risks of chemical exposure than adults. This is to do with their faster rate of growth and cell division, fast inhalation rates and higher body surface area to weight ratio. The key stages in a child's development are known as the critical windows of development. I think there's probably so many parents out there who just have no concept at all that their children's eczema, dermatitis um, are, are potentially caused by their uniforms. So it's very interesting what Carrie's saying about the skin conditions being caused, potentially being caused by the chemicals in kids' clothing. However, a lot of research is also pointing to longer term health issues that have been caused by other groups of chemicals, sometimes the same chemicals. It sounds crazy, but 980 individual endocrine disrupting chemicals have been identified to date by different health groups, including things like the phthalates group, bisphenol A, flame retardants, PDBEs and PFCs. Lots of long acronyms and jargon and complicated names to remember. But what these chemicals are doing are interfering with the basic processes that regulate the way our bodies are working. Other groups of chemicals used in clothing have been identified as carcinogenic or cancer-causing. Some of these are the perfluorocarbons, the PFCs, another very difficult word to pronounce, which are used as waterproofing agents in kids' outdoor wear. They've also been linked to kidney cancer and testicular cancer. Formaldehyde is an anti-wrinkling agent used in school uniforms and has been connected with lots of health issues, including lung cancer. Many of these chemicals are endocrine disruptors, so this means they could affect our health and they could also affect our fertility. And the body burden of these chemicals is passed on from mother to child. And, you know, it's, it's passed on when the children are in our womb, through breastfeeding. Um, and the body burden of these chemicals actually increases from generation to generation. There's not really much that we can do about this unless we eliminate these chemicals from, from our environment and from our, our bodies. And many of the chemicals which are used regularly on school uniforms, they're known to be damaging. They're known to be damaging both to human health and to wildlife. So, you know, we've seen with, with Teflon, Teflon was brought in, you know, as you know, a, a great idea, apparently, to, to make our clothing and our pans, um, you know, water repellent, stain, stain resistant. Um, you know, I certainly wouldn't have a Teflon pan anywhere, anywhere near my house at all. Um, and you know this has been voluntarily phased out because people have realised the problems with Teflon and then in May last year 180 countries agreed to ban its production but this has taken decades and decades to phase out Teflon and unfortunately there's probably an even more regrettable substitute which has come in in its place so instead of PFOA this has been replaced by PF. AS and these could be just as harmful as the chemicals they've replaced because there's already evidence that they are harmful to wildlife, the environment, there's been um, probable links to, to tumours and to cancer, to liver and kidney function, to hormone disruption. 
and particularly concerning at the moment, to reduce immunity as well. It might reduce our antibody response to, to vaccines and uh, reduce our resistance to infectious diseases. So that's incredibly concerning. So what are PFASs? Over to Phil, Managing Director of Colour Connections. It, they're now referred to as, as, as PFASs. It, it, it's very, very complicated. There's lots of cousins and cousins of cousins in this <laughs> class of chemistry. But basically, they, they are fluorocarbon-based, uh, and they do a very, very good job of repelling water and, and stains, uh, if you get the appropriate type. Uh, but also, one of the things that comes along with them is, is that they're incredibly difficult to break down, so they're, they're, they're persistent. So they, um, they, they get into the environment you know, if, if things are, maybe if things are washed or there may be some um, traces go up the chimney in the manufacturing processes. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Capes, the most sustainable school uniform brand in the world. In a recent research study conducted by Capes, it was shown that some school uniforms in the UAE contain harmful chemicals such as azo dyes that can lead to health problems like cancer. If you're a school or a parent who wants to be certain that your children's uniform is made only with sustainably sourced, eco-friendly materials, better for your child and for the planet, visit capes.co today. When I was speaking to Phil, he talked about how the chemicals we use in the garment industry are, in theory, washed out of the fabrics before the consumer can get their hands on the final product. Aside from the argument as to whether these chemicals are completely removed before they reach the shop floor, there's a whole other argument as to whether we should be using them anyway, for the sake of the health and safety of workers within the supply chain, the people who are using these chemicals in factories, in vast industrial quantities, day in, day out. If consumers actually understood some of the issues for workers in the industry and the dangers they face from handling um, chemicals, they should have a greater understanding of the, the chemicals that are used in, uh, in, in upstream processing and um, and just be a little bit more aware of, of, of how things are made. Clothing at the point of sale in developed nations has never been safer, despite the never being more focus on them. But mm. we can't be complacent, and, and you do have to be aware that there, is, there are certain um, areas where, when I say areas that you know, tend to be bad practice in certain parts of the world, where they still will be using dyes that are, dangerous for workers or they may, may be carcinogenic or they may be using chemicals which are very nasty for the workers or bad for the environment and, and it's a constant um, game of sort of cops and robbers or cat and mouse trying to to manage these out of the out of the industry uh, but we're making great progress. So as we've heard from both Phil and Carrie who have spent a lot of time um, researching and working in this industry it's incredibly complex and it seems really, really hard to actually get complete clarity on what is and isn't in our clothing. Neither Phil Carey can be 100% sure of exactly what's going on. It's really surprising to me how little research there is comparatively into how we absorb these harmful chemicals through it. I mean, there is research out there. It's sometimes contradictory. Um, 
but there certainly needs to be a lot more research and that comes down to to funding we have powerful chemical companies with vested interests in perpetuating this cocktail of chemicals which go into into our clothing and perpetuating the use of plastics from fossil fuels these are big petrochemical companies who are seeing you know other you know other sales avenues drying up or certainly reducing in in the future so they need to be able to sell their petrochemicals somewhere and the fashion industry is is a big purchaser at the moment in in terms of the the, the plastic clothing which we're you know we're, we're seeing throughout the industry so the question is who exactly is setting the standards and regulating the processes that are going on within the industry what we've got is is a, a global industry uh, with legislation it is horribly fragmented uh, and it's like trying to put a jigsaw puzzle together with you know a blindfold on and missing pieces it's um, it's really quite difficult to from just a legislation perspective so the the industry itself led by reputable uh, brands tends to do a lot of this policing and, and drawing up of standards so that that there is a globe a global standard operating so if you are in a country where there is very very little chemical legislation where the, the let's say the dye houses or the print works is uh, they, they could potentially use you know, not not anything, but they, they they could get away with using some quite nasty chemicals that are illegal in Europe. Uh, but thankfully, because we've now we're now moving towards pretty well aligned chemical standards amongst the major brands in the world, that tends to set a, a global standard, a sort of de facto global standard. As Phil says, the regulation is catching up, but there is still a lot that governments need to do. And this is something that fashion revolution are determined to address. As part of our focus this year on the composition of our clothing, in our Fashion Transparency Index, which covers 250 of the world's biggest fashion brands, we looked at the brand's approaches to eliminating chemicals um, in the clothing, or at least to disclosing what chemicals go into the clothing to start with, and also their steps to eliminate virgin plastics and to prevent microplastic pollution as well. And I was really astonished to find that 60% of the brands in this year's index aren't publishing a restricted substances list. So this means that we really have no idea of what chemicals are or aren't allowed into, into our clothing. And we certainly should have a, a call and hopefully legislation for, uh, for, for fashion brands and retailers, all clothing brands and retailers, to publish their restricted substances list. I mean, that really needs to be law. There is a new law which has just come into place in Sweden around disclosure of chemicals in clothing and it's linked to taxation. So that's a really good first start. But we need this to happen, to happen globally, particularly as textiles are made around the world, because we need to know these chemicals. I mean, it's really not good enough. There's only 40% of the top 250 fashion brands and this includes some of the biggest retailers you know the big supermarkets where a lot of people do buy their clothing that only 40 percent of them are publishing their restricted substances list so we certainly need we need we need action in this area it really seems that transparency is one of the big challenges with this industry 
Yes, I mean, it certainly it has improved considerably since 2013. We've certainly seen the amount of brands disclosing the factories where our clothing is cut, made, sewn together, and some of the processing facilities, even some of the raw material suppliers. I mean, we have seen huge increases there, but it's still not good enough. It's still not enough for the industry. They are still the minority, despite the, the huge improvement we have seen. And when we spoke with Phil, as it turns out, there's one really crucial point in the supply chain which determines which chemicals are going into the process and which quantities. And that's with the dyers, who often are a hidden player in the complex chain of suppliers going into the making of a single item of clothing. It's typically the the, the dyers and the printers and um, the, the laundries, etc., that are buying in chemicals. And really, the way it works is that um they they want to buy some dye because they want to make their things blue green purple whatever uh and and they go looking for dyes and and it's a that they've got a, a range of options they've got probably depending on where they are in the world they may have some low price low quality low levels of compliance products or there's there are a number of big international brands that supply around the globe where where the um, the, the levels of compliance and understanding of, of the, uh, the toughest legislation and the toughest standards is much better. So really it's a case of um, they decide, the, the, the dyers and the printers, they decide what they uh, can afford and, and do they want to go cheap and risky or do they want to go expensive and um, robust. And, and this is one of the the big challenges because the brands that are demanding compliance and wanting everything um, to be great, uh, they're the ones that are bashing prices down. So the question is, how do we fix this? When you're trying to replace um, problematic chemicals from history, uh, it's, it's difficult to ban them when there's no other alternative. And then when, when you look at bringing alternatives to market, the barriers are really high. So it would be fantastic if there was a much cheaper, smoother way of bringing safe chemistry to market. That you've got brands where the, the buyers and the commercial people are desperate for low prices and the compliance teams are desperate for high performance. And it doesn't always work like that. So, so it, it is a challenge. And, and there is always a, you, you can't expect a, a dyer or a printer to operate at a loss by buying um, the most expensive chemicals, the most expensive fibres, and then, then running at a loss. So sometimes the prices paid are not high enough to get a, a you know, good quality product. So what can parents do to help reduce the exposure of chemicals for their children? I think this is one of the rare instances where actually the responsible option doesn't necessarily have to cost more money. It can actually be cheaper. So I would certainly say look for secondhand uniform. A lot of schools maybe have exchanges um, and I'm sure you can buy secondhand uniform online. And, you know, again, I know there's probably issues with this around around coronavirus, but I would certainly say secondhand because that's been washed a lot more. And so a lot of those chemicals will have washed out of the clothing. And actually, if you're buying the uniform without chemicals, it should be the cheaper option because a lot of the advertisements around making this uniform um, easy, easy care, these are the added chemicals. And you can often buy a low cost 
option without the chemicals, without those added benefits in inverted commas for parents. If you do have to buy clothing which does have these chemicals on, then make sure you soak it overnight, make sure you wash it, you know, if possible, at least a couple of times beforehand. Soak it with, um, I think it's bicarbonate of soda, um, and also adding white vinegar to the wash as well. So these will help to eliminate the, the chemicals faster. Um, but if you can avoid them in the first place, obviously that's the best thing to do. And then also ask the brands and retailers, wherever you buy your uniform from, ask them that question, what's in my clothes? So in summary, we've learned that this is an incredibly complex industry. And one of the challenges we have in understanding what goes into our school kids' clothing and regulating it is the simple lack of transparency in the supply chain and the fashion industry. But one of the other challenges is that we have misaligned objectives even within some of these big brand companies will have the compliance team trying to improve the quality and safety of the clothing to meet with the latest standards um, and the brand teams who are aware of the market competition to push down the pricing and don't want to pay more for the clothing so we have to work out what we're really trying to achieve um, as, as an entire industry when it comes to producing clothing. As Sophie said Despite the misguidance and opaqueness of clothing brands on the processes and chemicals going into our clothes, we still have power as consumers to push for change. Don't be afraid to challenge brands on their standards and dig a bit deeper into the background of the companies you're buying from. As Carrie says, keep asking the question, what is in my clothes? A lot of the responsibility lies with the fashion brands and government policy, but collectively we can advocate for the health and safety of workers within the fashion supply chain and consumers, as well as the environment. If you got this far, thanks for listening. And we'd love to hear your thoughts, reactions and questions on our Green Network Instagram page. Join us next time when we explore the people behind the fabric and ask who makes our clothes and why does it matter? See you next time.